to the Golf Barons podcast, Tenuous Links, a golf pun we're not only incredibly proud of, but one we're also sure to emulate. Let us careen through bloviated opinions on all things golf, some outrageous innovation ideas to speed up the game, a few laughs, and an historical retelling of an iconic golf moment. Time to add some swagger to your swing. Hello, Barons. Welcome to today's Tenuous Links Golf Podcast. Now, every now and again, some of us, the lucky ones, get to go out and have a dream day celebrating the game they love, which of course is golf. But imagine being a complete golf junkie and in the space of just four weeks being able to experience not one but two full glorious days that could only be summarized as golf dreaming. Well, our special guest today has done just that. And we thought we'd give him a chance to brag a little, drop a few names along the way, and knowing a little bit about what these two amazing days involved, we'll be pretty happy to sit back and listen to him waxing lyrical. John from Chicago, aka John Craig, Senior Vice President of Tour Edge Golf. Welcome back to the Tenuous Links Golf Podcast. Gentlemen, thank you for having me and uh, wonderful to be back. Good to see you all. You're all looking smooth as ever. Of course, Philly is also in. Yes, he is, and it's still my favourite title, John. Thank you, Philip. It's uh, something I think of you every day about. The old A2 business card. The senior. It's all about senior vice president, boys. Senior. Now, Philly, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> you're, you're going you're gonna to take over your, your initial segment. Philly, this is yours, the hate section. Show us how it's done. What are you hating in and around golf? Now, I will start this by saying this may be the 15th time that I've gone with the same hate, but it is a recurring hate. I hate getting within 50 metres of a green (laughs) and panicking. (laughs) I hate having no clue what I'm doing. I hate thinking that I know what I'm doing. And everyone's watching me going, this could go two metres, you know, if I'm 45 out. So Kipper, Operation Champ should exist, but actually he should be teaching me to hit it shorter. Not longer, because I think it'll impact on my scores more. So you're obviously talking about your short game, Philly, still battling still battling in and around the greens, big fella. It's a disaster. It's a disaster until I can get the putter out, which at the moment is from 50 in. It's a disaster. It's just not making any sense to me. Nothing's making sense. To me. I, I can't. Nothing's making sense. Can someone help anyone here today? All right. All right. We'll get away from that, Phil, because you are starting to ramble on a little bit about nothing and not making any sense. So I'm going to throw out my hate this week which is not being able to travel overseas at the moment. It's driving me mad. There's so many great golf courses, Philly, that are on our dreaming travel list that we've talked about, and they're still completely out of reach for the foreseeable future. For reasons other than COVID. (laughs) It's just a convenient excuse. So this has nothing to do with the fact that we don't have any funding to go to the US or we don't have any money to go all the way through Europe or Scotland or Wales or Ireland or anywhere else. And by the way, what a pathetic whinge. From a spoiled Australian stuck at home who's had 350 cases nationwide in 12 months and he's bloody complaining about he can't get on a plane. You try being an Aussie stuck in the US with a 92-year-old mum at home wondering when her son's going to get home to visit her. <laughs> I rule that a pathetic hate. Oh, pathetic hate. They, that's wow, our first. Wow. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> it's our first. Yeah. It's our hey, first piece. Welcome, John. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hate without substance. <laughs> so that's my su- – well, hang on. I'll, I'll, we, we had grand plans to get to Lofoten Links, Whistling Straits, Macrohanish, all these all these courses, and instead we're stuck playing only, you know, Royal Melbournes and Torias and Metros. And 
<laughs> poor little battlers in the sandbelt down there in Melbourne. As I'm looking out over the National uh, Golf Club uh, and the Mornington Peninsula, and I, I think I can see all three courses from here, and based on the looks, they're all going okay. If only your barren listeners could just understand exactly what sort of spoiled brats you guys actually are. <laughs> it's about time the truth came clear. We'll never let them know. If they now- don't, they haven't been listening very well. <laughs> Now that my, my hate's been deemed a pathetic hate, we're going to go to Mr. Brilliant Hater. So, JC, John Craig, you're telling me uh, you're going to teach us how to hate. What have you got for us? Well, listen, I, you hate by doubling down on your last hate because I may well have articulated something of a similar sentiment last time I was lucky enough to be a guest on your fine show. However, my hate is I was recently lucky enough to visit simply one of the world's great golf experiences and it was the the Eastlake Golf Club in Atlanta. And my hate is uninformed journalists from Australia singing jingoistic rubbish about how Americans feel about their sport and the way sport's presented here in the US. So look, I've only been over here four years, but you kind of learn to understand that the game is not quite seen over here as as Australians think of it. And some of the things that we might look at that might seem to be lacking a style or a prestige or whatever, when you actually get over here and understand the depth of history that exists over here. And look, hopefully I'll, a little bit later, I might be able to uh, talk with the, the listeners a little bit about the history of Eastlake. But I often, and I keep in contact with Australia regularly, I listen to podcasts, read the news, and it drives me nuts this jingoistic sentiment about uh, certain aspects that comes from the Australian media and and maybe from 12,000 miles away it's pretty easy to throw darts but you know they do it pretty well over here let me just say that well we've never we've never been jingoistic or or thrown darts at anything have we Phil we've never we've never taken a position on anything that might be slightly controversial no I'd be surprised if if either of you knew what jingoistic actually is so (laughs) (laughs) So I'm one up from Kipper, but uh, I'm just Googling it. No, we're, uh, we're, we're worldly people, John. We like to travel the world and we're not... Uh... You know, you can't hate on these things. You've got to learn to respect that the Scottish do it their way, the Australians do it their way, and I suppose that's one of the, the, the great experiences of living away from home is that you've got to learn to appreciate that, you know, it is what it is. And the Tour Championship and the FedEx Cup, which I refer to specifically, which is which have come in for some criticism from segments of the Australian golf media. They're great events that are loved over here. I mean, all of the stakeholders involved in those events love the event commercially from every single aspect. Players, you know, there is a prestige and esteem about winning the FedEx Cup. You have absolutely no idea the ghost of Bobby Jones looking at you as you walk enter the clubhouse at Eastlake. They present the Payne Stewart Award at Eastlake every year at the Tour Championship. So to, you know, cast aspersions on the, the validity of the Tour Championship and, yep, it's worth 10 million bucks. But I think as I raced you last time, we, Kansas City just signed a quarterback for 550 million for 10 years over here. So 10 million is like a barely a drop in the bucket in the sports mad world and market that is the US. On top of anti tomp to tomp Kumpu and his contract, John, it is just money. But as, as for having an opinion, I mean, we have gone out of our way to not have an opinion on anything too much. And then it seems, though, that you have well and truly caught the ranting bar. Well, 
It's a I little like it. frustrating as a proud Australian, you know. Heaven forbid if, if, if that sort of media talk was to become widespread over here. It's, all I can say is thank heavens no one over here actually listens to some of the people that I'm talking about. But you know, thank you. But it's certainly not you guys and your worldly view of golf. And, you know, it's all part of Australia <laughs> growing up and having a look at the big wide world. All right, that's a, that's enough hatred for one podcast, boys. Time to to warm the cockles a little. Hatred for a year. Bit of, yeah, well, possibly. But let's move into into our loves and and JC. I'm going to throw it straight back at you. You've brought us down. Bring us up. Wow, wow, wow. doubling down. I'm not sure I'm ready. Hang on, I just have another sip of red because it's uh, quarter to nine in my part of the world. I was lucky enough to experience. The is going off the charts here. <laughs> Take it to a whole new level. I was lucky enough to spend a day last week with a consummate professional. And uh, in my working career, I've been lucky enough to work in golf and outside of golf and observe a lot of people that I look up to. And I think I met my Mount Everest last week. So my love is people, regardless of what industry in, what you choose to do as a profession, people who absolutely love what they do and are incredibly professional in every aspect of the way they go about it. That's a good love. I know. I'm actually, I'm jealous of the love. Now listening, for me guys, I'm going to, we're going to keep going through these loves quickly because we've got a lot of, a lot of tales to get to from the big fella who's come in. But my love is actually pretty much that. It's listening to to these sorts of golf tales and of past and present about former players and current players and just those stories you don't hear, the random acts of kindness of these guys often that you hear. And, and Phil, you've known it. We've sat down with um, with Kipper over several glasses or bottles over the journey, and he's had he's got some absolutely cracking tales. Some of which we can even say publicly, but most of most of them, which are inner sanctum kind of stuff. So it's really cool. I love hearing those sorts of stories because it gives a real humanness to to these players rather than just these you know these overpaid athletes as some Australian commentators regard them. Again, as I surround myself with intelligent comments and assessments of situations around them and experiences, I come back to a far more basic love. And I did touch on it in our last podcast. I love this intergenerational golf tournament because it sets a tone for golf everywhere that golf is not just played within your generation. It's applied across generations. And I know I bored people with my rant last week about this very thing, but it's just fantastic. Forgetting the the absurd amount of coverage on poor old Charlie and the pressure that's going to come from young Charlie Woods, but the the absolute joy that these professionals had in sharing their game and their passion and their love, it's a nice reminder for everybody, if you're given the opportunity to do the same thing, play it forward, shooter. Oh, definitely, Phil. And just saying, speaking of little Charlie Woods, very quickly, how his mannerisms, could they be more tiger-like? How exciting is it to think about what the future may hold for that little fella? As Michael Jordan's kids know, some benchmarks <laughs> are incredibly difficult to live up to. And I like, I loved it. I did love it. I loved the smile on his face and I loved the way Tiger spoke about the passion of sharing an event like that with his kids. And John, you'll, you'll, in fact, we're going to finish today with a little bit of a, um, an insight into the, the joy of that event from our esteemed colleague in Chicago. But there's just that, that point of cool your jets. Everyone cool your jets a little bit because when Michael Jordan had kids, Immediately, they were going to be, wow, if Jordan was this good, imagine how they're going to be. And, guys, if you could imagine what sort of coverage you got uh, down in Australia about the event, multiply it by 50 here. 
It was, you know, it led NBC, ABC, CNN News, like it was just everywhere and there is nowhere to go for the kid but down from here. I think that is the reality. That that's the big that's the big challenge for him is that it was it was joy and he loves it. But you know the last thing we need look, look just yeah celebrate him celebrating the game and celebrating time with his his dad. Yeah, I just I, I look at him and then I look at Michael Jordan's kids and I just come on Charlie just be your own man at the age of eleven. Sorry, I'm getting a bit deep now. Anyway, that's all I've got. And listen, another little le- uh, another little snippet from the US media over here, and I, I don't recall who it was, but it may well have been Andy Johnson on the Friday posted a lovely comment on social today, citing that uh, a number of years ago, DJ was out playing at the opening event of the year in Hawaii, and he may have been dating a particular glamour from the tour at that stage who followed him around for the first couple of rounds and Golf Channel did not show a single picture, did not name her, absolutely, completely on the download. Well, you know, how's the, how has the world changed when we're seeing uh, Ellen Woods and Tiger's daughter walking around and, of course, are being shown and exploited on the coverage? Uh, the world is a very different place to 10 years ago when you could uh, hide that sort of nonsense. Agreed. No names, no pack trail. Yeah, it would be remiss of me not to delve straight into a little bit of gear effect, considering we have the Senior Vice President here of Tour Edge. So, John Craig, I want to throw it to you. What is your standout product of 2020 or or what products, new line of products for 2021 should we be keeping an eye out for? And what's the main, I guess, the, the main technology that might be sort of changing games around the world? Jeez, I feel I'm in the Victorian Parliament, just being thrown the greatest Dorothy Dix of all time. Thank you. <laughs> Couldn't you have been just a little subtle about that one? <laughs> What's better than paying you? <laughs> That's true. Well, look, you know, the greatest thing about being a golfer in 2020 is, and credit to all of the industry, is there is such a fabulous range of product coming out from every manufacturer over here in the US. We're particularly proud of some things that we've done and I'm lucky enough to be privy to some very early day tour testing with some of our products and I think we have a driver, the Exotics C721 coming out shortly which really stands among absolutely everything being released for next year so we're pretty excited about that and we're pretty excited about some of our midline product for in the Super Game Improvement market which is doing well and even more excitingly for you guys down in Australia is available at every drum and golf store so for all of your listeners out there interested in Tour Edge please pop down to your local drum and store and check it all out. All right, enough of that now, John. I want to get on yeah, to time. The- hang on, hang on, no, no, hang on, no, no. I needed to ask John. I needed to ask John. So last time John was on, he mentioned as his tale from the tour, which was a great tale from the tour, and we had a lot of really good feedback about a, a young man at the time who was testing a hybrid, and he went through all the shots in the bag, John, and then there was one shot that he couldn't hit, and he said, "I just can't hit a draw with it." Yet come the Masters, John, you've managed to weasel your way somehow into someone's golf bag. Now, do you want to just? Finish off that story as the follow-up Dorothy Dixer without notice from the member for the National. <laughs> as you guys only know too well, I, have a, I am of very average ability and uh, anything I've achieved in my career has been a, principally the result of dogged persistence. So, yes, we were very lucky over the last really three years to be working with Bernhard Langer in a range of different areas, but as I told the story last time of a couple of years back when we first tested hybrids with him and 
and Bernard being able to hit every shot in the bag except this one particular one, which he he needs. Well, subsequent to that, and some people will say I'm not a very good listener. Contrary to that, we took that back and, and that information on board and built him a product. And I'm very pleased to report that Bernhard played an Exotics EXS Pro Hybrid at the Masters this year. And uh, if anybody wants to Google Bernhard Langer, uh, EXS Pro Hybrid, you'll see him hit one of the great shots of the tournament at the seventh hole where most of the players were going into hole seven with wedge, nine iron, maybe eight iron for the longer guys. Bernhard went in there with four hybrid <laughs> on the final day, but hit it to two feet, made three, and uh, it just shows you there's, there's many, many different ways to make a score. But, yeah, we're delighted to uh, have an association with Bernhard, and, you know, we're looking to, for that association to continue and, and get stronger and stronger as the years go by. Quick one, John. Just on your on the process for you for naming Tourage Golf Clubs. Well, how does that work with you guys? Because you've you I've been critical of it in the past. CBX one one nine. What does that mean? The greatest greatest club in my opinion ever made, but greatest three would ever made. Yet the name is, is so, sexy. Why why the lack of sexy naming of products? So we go from the Dory Dorothy Dixon to the questions without notice. Why why how the, the audience turns? Listen, we've been, you know, marketing these golf products, it's not easy and coming up with a sexy name every year. So, in fact, interestingly, we've just made a, a significant corporate decision in the last 12 months to totally move away in entirety from the whole marketing kitchen spiel and naming products and all of the nonsense that goes that goes with it. And, in fact, we... We have a pretty broad range of product and we service the premium end of the market, the middle end of the market, the commercial end. So we kind of have just put in place a a protocol somewhat analogous with BMW where our 7 Series product is our premium line of product, our 5 Series product is our midline and and then in our commercial and package set business we have 4 Series product, 3 Series, 2 Series so we've actually made a conscious decision to move away from all that marketing rubbish and, and come up with effectively just a structured, easy naming protocol. So the higher the first number, the more premium uh, that product is in our line and effectively the following uh, numbers are, uh, reflect the model year. But we've also segmented our business a little bit. Again, it could be analogous with BMW where they have their X line is their four-wheel drive crossover vehicles and uh, M is their sport line stuff. So we have three specific divisions of products where we have our pro series product, our competitor series product, and our extreme game improvement. So within each of those, uh, say, Tour Edge Exotics 721 series products, you've got a pro series line, a C series line for competitors, and an E series line for extreme game improvement. So I'm kind of giving you the non-answer to say, you know, other companies head down whatever direction that, that they feel fit. But we've decided to really come up with a more structured so it's easier for our retail partners, it's easy for our consumers, you know, to more readily understand where products fit in the market rather than every year coming out with, you know, some crazy name to try and brand our products with. John, we live in uh, Victoria, Melbourne, in Australia. We just spent $30 million on no answers. So you giving us no answers to questions <laughs> is absolutely no problem with us. 
Just add it to the bottom line. I'm speaking to a receptive audience. The, okay. the only thing you didn't do so, was invoices. <laughs> That's coming. <laughs> <laughs> that can be arranged. <laughs> if you were to, if you were to sell golf as a sport to someone, John, I want to want to get pick your brain on this one. If you were going to sell golf to someone these days, what would it be that you say? Why golf? Why choose golf? I'm steadfast in this one. It's a view I've held for since I was lucky enough to be a kid of. 18 years old when I joined Victoria Golf Club and I would play golf on a Saturday and Sunday without a timesheet. Uh, thanks. little name drop there just for you, Phil. Just to I like that. that one I like that job. Oh, hang on. Ding. But I play with older members, younger men. So my love of golf is the, the absolute unique egalitarian nature of golf. It is ageless. So you can play with... 15-year-olds can enjoy a game with 70-year-olds. It's sexless. Guys and girls can play together and enjoy it just as much as there's not many other sports that you can say, say with that. And it's abilityless. It is when Phil because plays. Because the handicap system is so unique to golf, some more than others, as we suggest. But it's not restricted by ability. It's just as much fun on a Sunday to go out with three mates and you might have a low scratch marker and a 30 marker and it's a competitive fun egalitarian environment and if you go across sex ability and age there's no other sport in the world maybe lawn bowls but at the end of the day they miss out on the handicap system so that's what's great about golf and i tell you if any kid if any parent didn't educate their kid to to golf at a young age at least to some level so at some point in time if they chose to take up the game later in life that they didn't have some introduction and and basic ability towards it well they're making a mistake play it forward hashtag play it forward there is an obligation because of how great the game is to introduce it to generations and to friends and because of all these things john marvelous you've just been employed by the rna Shooter, what do you got? Well, what I'd do is I'd probably go down a slightly different tact if I was trying to, to sell it to someone because as much as what John just said was completely on the money, it's I don't know if I don't know if it's a sexy enough message. Much like the brilliant naming of golf clubs, it doesn't quite have the sex appeal to get people in. So I'm going to go a different, a slightly different angle. No offense, John, but um, come on, come on, you're better than that. We're going to you're not. I'm going to go back to nature. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not even close. But I'm going to go with, and I touched on this last week, but for me, golf, it truly is the most engaged sport or pastime when it comes to being with nature and in nature. Getting back to nature, getting out in the wilderness is something that most people can relate to. Damn. Get out and breathe. Get out, get out and breathe the Damn air my towering pines, boys. <laughs> it opens vast spaces. Seriously? Yep. Come on. I recall... Uh, Last pod we did, I had to give Phil a fake for absolute nonsense, but I'm calling, I'm calling nonsense again. Come on. Is that the best? You're not you've a fan got? of nature. I love nature, but, but come on. Give me something. But getting out of much, watching the animals get about their business, boys, whether it's kangaroos and wallabies in Australia, wild deer in the US, monkeys in Africa, you get to soak in it all over four or five hours and get your real fix of nature before. You know, before cussing yourself out over yet another cold top off the tee. That's You've magic. declared yourself the least PC person potentially on earth, and you are going with the most tree-hugging approach. With the most tree-hugging approach 
to the benefits of this game I've ever heard. You've declared golf more part of nature than many other sports, other than mountain climbing, yep. orienteering, no sport. Uh, trail running. No, sport. Uh, no, mountain climbing is, or certainly – Sand well, sport. it is in Paris. Nah. It's going to be in the Olympics. Nah, nice try. Okay, I, now I'm going to have to. It's not. It's not. Um, what, what's that? What is it? It's something um, shadow boxing or something? No, what is it? It's not, that's coming in. Break dancing apparently is a sport. Capoeira. Oh, what about sailing? When you're out in the rolling seas, it's not their fault they don't have trees out there. Not a sport. Philly, <laughs> you are aware that I have just come back from three days of camping, so I'm a little. <laughs> I'm a little bit. Uh, I've had a lovely little trip. So I'm uh, I'm in a nature loving mood, but it's right. We can shake that out of me pretty quickly. Thanks for just you know I'm not going to go on. Thanks for uh, canning that, boys. Let's just move straight on to JT's. Uh, no, no, I, I can't let you get away. I can't let you get away with that because there are too many there are too many things about golf that you overlooked. So what you just mentioned is if golf no. needed a footnote, if golf needed a footnote in its marketing strategy that was just refer page 914, you know, the, the report stops at page 100, but refer page 914 for the very last untouched benefit of playing golf. That's where we'd put that in, is getting in touch with nature. I agree that being surrounded no, by birds. The cool kids like nature, oh, the cool Phil. Kids. You're just out of touch, boys. Quite honestly, it's really as bad as Dennis Denudo quoting the vibe. It's Marbo, it's the vibe, and you've given it. And the, and the great quote, Damien Schutte says, it's the nature. Your Honour, I plead nature. That's all right. I'm, I'm quite comfortable. I'm quite comfortable with my uh, current nature-loving position. You've got to own that, Shooter. Well, I went with Statue of Liberty last week, so I've got nothing else. Because I stand by that. And, in fact, I've run that past a number of people that golf is the Statue of Liberty of sports. And 100% of them, 100% of him agreed 100%, well, about 90%. So I'm going pretty well. But, Damo, I reckon you get this moving because the sooner we're beyond tree-hugging, the better. I'd actually like to stick on it for a little while and rip, da- rip, rip Damo apart a little bit more because <laughs> I'm not sure whether I've given, been given a better opportunity to call oh, rubbish. All right, let's hear. Let's get the listeners involved. Listeners, write in. Am I right or is J- JC right? Send us uh, send us your thoughts. Swagger at golfbarons.com. John, let's get straight over to your golf dreaming that we mentioned in the intro. Hang on, I've got an email from. Oh. Hang on, hold on, shooter. I've got an email from John Craig here. I've got an email from John from Chicago regarding whether or not he agrees with you about golf being tree hugging. John, would you like to your read Honor. out your email? It's about the nature. Or are you done? <laughs> I rest my okay, case. Well, Phil, Phil, over to you. You're, uh, you're currently running it, so let's go. <laughs> so, John, getting things back on track. Golf dreaming. There were two clear situations that we're all going to be a little bit jealous of. And so, really, for the next little while, this is all about you. And so, please don't ask us to come up with intelligent questions because we don't have any. We've just got envy. East Lake, John. East Lake Golf Club, dear Barons. And to all barons listening, I was very spoilt recently on a trip down to the wonderful city of Atlanta. A, I survived the trip, which is not an inconceivable feat in its own currently in the US to actually jump on an aeroplane and fly, but that's another story. But um, headed down to East Lake for a day with a lovely customer of ours and drove in the hallowed gates of East Lake Golf Club, which to be honest, I really hadn't done my research and fully appreciated what East Lake Golf Club represents to golf in the US. 
but really had one of the great days of my my golfing existence in terms of being educated to the history of the game, being able, being exposed to really a, a museum-like experience within a fabulous facility which holds up all of the the kind of cool things that we talk about of the history of golf and a reverence to those who've come before us and and all of that sort of stuff. And so you come down this gorgeous driveway and entering East Lake, you enter a beautiful Tudor clubhouse and you walk inside and unbeknownst to me, very naively, is that East Lake was the home of Bobby Jones, one of the most revered players within our history, uh, the first man to win the Grand Slam, uh, back in the 1930s, correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but there or thereabouts, and that went on to achieve uh, amazing things also later in his life in his legacy and his contribution to the game of golf. And so within East Lake, there are just magnificent monuments on display. So there is claret jugs, British Open trophies, the British Amateur Trophy that Bobby Jones won. There is a Ryder Cup from Jones' captaincy. There is the Havermeyer Trophy and the history of the Havermeyer being a wealthy Atlanta guy uh, and the, the history of him creating the Havermeyer Trophy, which is given each year to the best college player in the US. So seeing that sort of stuff, the US Amateur Trophy, it was kind of like, you know, again, I referred back to uh, Victoria Golf Club and the, and the Backley Thompson room there at Victoria with the, the, the British Amateur and the British Open Trophy side by side. Well, you know, for those of you lucky enough in Australia to have been to Royal Sydney or to New South Wales or Victoria or Royal Melbourne where they have a magnificent collection of memorabilia, I mean, this was taking it to a whole uh, another level. And, and, and this, like, well, to compound that, then you have this incredible history of the club being founded in the late 1890s by the Atlanta Athletic Club, originally 36 holes laid down by Tom Bendelow. Uh, in the early 1920s, I believe Donald Ross came and redid the, the layout of the second course to then subsequent days of the 1960s of an incredible change in the socioeconomics of Atlanta and the Atlanta city growing and the area around Eastlake became so impoverished. It was a terribly poor black neighbourhood. So the Atlanta Athletic Club decided to up and get out and left the club and moved nearby and it was only for the kind generosity of a group of businessmen so when the Atlanta Athletic Club upped and left Eastlake, they sold off one of the courses. They built high-rise, high-density, basically ghetto-style, as we would know in Australia, facility, and the area became a disaster. So in the late 60s, early – sorry, no, I think it was early 80s, a group of benefactors came along, bought out the whole property, refurbished the clubhouse, rebuilt. Reese Jones came in and restored – one course that was left back to Donald Ross's original design and created a charity facility whereby they would clean up the local area, create schools, and the history really is just, it speaks of all of the fantastic things about, about golf and what can be achieved. And, you know, sometimes golf gets a bad rap and I, and I read in Australia and, and you know, Northwood Golf Club and 
the elitist nature of having public parks reserved for golf and all the rest of it that, you know, sometimes people forget golf also does some fantastic things. So essentially you're talking about a neighbourhood five minutes out of central downtown Atlanta, fourth largest city in America, busiest airport in the US, a significant metropolis within within this country. And if it wasn't for golf, we would have had an inner city neighbourhood that would have continued to be impoverished and all the problems with drugs and violence and all the nonsense that uh, accompanies that. So you have all of this amazing history to which then the PGA Tour, which often gets a bad rap, took the Tour Championship to Eastlake in recognition of this fantastic history that bubbled underneath Eastlake and have now created a legacy over nearly 20 years of where the, the Tour Championship is played each year at Eastlake on the Wednesday or the Tuesday night, I'll stand to be corrected, they award the, the Payne Stewart Award, which is to yep. the, the person within the PGA Tour family and environment who has contributed and upheld the values of Payne Stewart, of sportsmanship and camaraderie and friendship and all of that that goes with it. Over here, we get to see that live broadcast on Golf Channel on the evening that occurs, and typically you... You hear a fabulous speech, whether it's, you know, past recipients of the who's who of golf and typically it's fabulous viewing. So, you know, you, you really have a journey over a hundred years of an amazing history of, of ups and downs and icons of American golf through to the troubled times and inner city urban environment just going to crap. And then being saved and rebuilt to now where I believe the Eastlake Foundation have raised and contributed something over 25 million bucks to scholarships for local kids and schools and education. And it's just a really cool story. So for anybody that kind of wants to discuss or, or denigrate what the Tour Championship is or the FedEx Cup or all of the things that go with the Tour Championship... Having been lucky enough to actually visit the facility and now to understand the history, I mean, it's tingles up the spine stuff, which, you know, is, you know, there's probably six or eight places in the world for, for barons out there that love the game like we do. It's truly a, just a really cool day out. So it's beyond just the golf. I mean, this is the key thing, though. It is beyond the golf course. It, it, this is this is golf as an entire beast, as opposed to just the first tee to eighteenth green. And I, I think that's the thing that's because the course itself, John, I'm sure was acceptably playable. Way better than acceptably playable. I mean, it's a delightful Donald Ross. Of course, I'm joking. Of course, and Come on, you man. know, not quite as lucky as 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 the spoiled barons down in the sand belt in, in <laughs> Melbourne, as the yeah, the SBs, as we'll now refer, refer them to. <laughs> But, you know. You're declaring war on the wrong people. <laughs> but, you know, it's a great layout within a great facility with an amazing history. So, it, you know, to come back to Dennis Denudo is, the, you know, it's the vibe or even, you know, we, we need to go to, what was the Tom Cruise movie about the Quan with, God, what was his name with the, the uh, it's just. Cuba Gooding yeah, Jr. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, it's, about, Jerry it's the Quan. Jerry Maguire. It's just the Quan. So following up then from Eastlake, John, so I th it would be fair to say that it is our golf dreaming and well and truly on our list because explaining just that history, that combination of history and today that the players love and everything else, your bucket list, or not only your bucket list, but your to-do list for 2021, just to give you one last chance to break our hearts, 
What uh, one or two courses are you a high likelihood of getting on in 2021 that can really piss us off and not invite you back? Well, let's not mess around and go straight to the big dogs. So I do have a game at Pine Valley scheduled <laughs> for next summer. So I look forward to the opportunity if I'm lucky enough to be invited back to share uh, with the listeners a little bit about the Pine Valley experience. But, yeah, that's that's widely considered and, and has been for probably 20 years the number one course in the world. So I believe I'm lucky enough to be able to score a gig there next summer. I wasn't listening. Sorry, John, you were breaking up the whole way through that. Um, uh, p- I think p- you said you were p- playing at Ivanhoe Golf yeah, Course. P- 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 Pine Valley. <laughs> yeah, no, pop filter. It's, that's, what they're, that's what they're for. But that was only step one, John, of your journey of golf dreaming that we mentioned, uh, that Shooter mentioned in the intro to the, uh, the podcast. And there's another one which I think is, is more fascinating from a completely different level, and that was we'll call a day spent with beep. Can you tell us about the day, John? I can tell you about a day that uh, I was lucky enough to get a request to. We have two uh, tour edge. We employ two full-time tour reps who are out there at PGA Tour events and PGA Champion Tour events every week. But such was the significance of this particular request that uh, we had a request from a Hall of Fame legend who may well be from Germany, dominant player on the Champions Tour. And well, we'll, we'll leave it at that uh, with great respect to the particular gentleman who, who is not a great publicity seeker and... Yeah. <laughs> His age, he's, he's old. He's aged very baby quickly. Face, that's all. So, so anyway, went down and spent the day with Martin. No, went down <laughs> and spent the day with just a, a, a doyen of anyone who's ever played the golf. And So I flew down late on a Sunday night to Florida just last week, went to a place called Adios Country Club. Uh, which is in Boca Raton in Florida, very esteemed private facility, men only. My dad would have loved it, as I uh, quoted a little bit earlier. He would have said, yeah, bloody terrific, no shielders out here getting in our way. But get to Adios, and at 9 o'clock in the morning, it's 85 degrees. And this particular gentleman, who was 63 years old, started and, and we took down two huge travel covers of equipment. So we started with wedges and we started with 60, 56, 52, feedback, what he liked, what he didn't like, be it bounce, leading edge, relief on the sole on the bounce, general shape, club by club by club, back through the irons. It's now 10.30 or 11 o'clock. We've hit the wedge, the nine, the eight, the seven, all the way through the set, through to the hybrids. And 12.30, it's now 90 degrees and we went up to the clubhouse and had a quick uh, club sandwich, as you do for lunch. Back to the range at 1.15, it's now 90 degrees and we worked with drivers for two hours and the first driver, club head speed, went exactly the same as the last driver two hours later. And to watch a professional go through his work this way and have an unbelievable technical knowledge of really understanding the without getting overly complicated. And interestingly, I was I was talking to my VP of engineering this morning recounting the story, and it was kind of like he wanted to know and he knew you know what influenced what, but he didn't need to know why the what influenced what. So 
by example, he understood completely about centre of gravity and the movement of centre of gravity and why one club might be a little bit easier to work left to right or right to left and the impact of face progression and all of those intricacies without having to get too bogged down then into, well, why do you choose to go with that face progression, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it just, as I mentioned in our introduction, I've been lucky in my career to work with some fabulous people that I look up to and respect. And, you know, I've been blessed with what I've been able to learn from these sort of people. But to be able to spend a day with the absolute consummate professional, I, I couldn't think of a better experience of watching and learning and listening and hearing some wonderful anecdotes and stories as to why why certain things do what based on his experience. It, it was it was the baroness day <laughs> that uh, any aspiring baron should hope to be lucky enough to to be exposed to, and I'm I'm pleased to report I was one of those lucky ones. Is it fair to say, John, that the this baron in question was is not the longest of hitters going around? And subsequent to that, was there any talk about the length of clubs going these days, or or Bryson, or or just any of that sort of stuff? No, to, being the consummate professional here is that, that we didn't get into that kind of dialogue. Like everyone, he wants to, he's losing distance as he gets older. Not a lot, but enough that he's mindful of trying to play the equipment that gives him the best opportunity to maximise, you know, what what he does. So, no, while, I, while I'd love to be able to share stories of uh, and opine on, you know, the way the game is heading, we didn't really get into a lot of that sort of stuff. What's going to be the, the easiest club to get into his bag and what's going to be the toughest one to get out of it? Now, that's a, again, I, I prefer the Dorothy Dixes rather than the really yeah. tough ones without notice. Can we go back to those? Um, no, because the toughest- we're heavy hitting. And because you criticise my nature call. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, anyone would have done that, so you can't hold that against me. Being brutally honest, he has a fairway wood, which is a magical piece. And and with respect, I won't name what piece that is, but no. it's it is as about a perfect a build and a fit and numbers and slaunch and spin for his unique characteristics. That you know, that's going to be a real tough one to get out. You know, one of our competitors has done a fabulous job in in fitting him into that piece. But we have an extremely effective driver that rated extremely well in launch and spin. And this particular player, I can tell you, consistently swings the club at about 99 or 99.5 miles per hour, achieves about 2,300 RPM spin, launches at 13 degrees and carries it like 251, 252, 250, 253, 251. It was just, and guys, we're talking, it's 90 degrees down in Florida and he's hit 50 shots with the driver. I mean, it's a lot of swings and we're messing around because we're trying slightly different lofts. We're moving weights in our adjustable weight system. We had four different core shafts we were testing in two different flexes. So it's a lot of different permutations and combinations we're testing to try and see if we can optimize something. So it, 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 you know, I talk about the professionalism and, you know, a commitment to fitness. And I can tell you, I was freaking exhausted just watching. And I just swung a club. That, that so. 99 mile swing speed we know in here is the double fill. Oh, Phil, you've, you've kicked up the 44 and a half. You're, no, whatever it is. Yeah, good My math's not that yeah, good. Yeah, good math. So that's, so, so one of the great things. 49 and a half. No, sorry. What, no, uh, it's not even 49 and a half. One, one of the great I, I, things, please. one of the great things about recording this 
as we know with video, don't we, Shooter, is that there is evidence as to what was just claimed. So I say sit on your ass, Pine Valley boy, work on your maths or get a calculator if you're going to make comment. The reality that it is double my swing speed is a moot point in this instance. <laughs> what, I did, what I did want to know, John, though, was so you mentioned the two coveralls worth of gear that you took down and the fact that you were still working with shafts with this person. How much of that was pre-organised in that these are the shafts, him saying these are the shafts I like versus you saying, actually, you know what, we've heard great things about this combo- combination of this shaft and our and our head. So very much preliminary research discussions, understanding what he's played for the past 10 years. So he really was immediately heading down into a window that we reasonably well understood. He had played graphic des- uh, graphite design in his medals for a considerable period of time across a couple of different specifications between the in the driver, the DI6, yes. so a 60-gram DI the orange, the orange and white one. The orange and white one, but he'd also played a little bit of the black and orange one in the IZ. So the IZ's got a slightly different profile to the the ID. It's a little bit stiffer in the handle versus the orange one is a little softer in the handle, softer in the mid, and very stiff in the tip. So he enjoys the feel of, of that orange shaft a little bit more than, say, the black one, which 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 definitely is a little more stouter under the handle, under the grip. And what about as you progress through, so iron shafts were given, wedge shafts were given? Iron shafts are an amazing challenge because this particular gentleman has played the same iron shaft for over 20 years. And that iron shaft is no longer available. And it was made by a company called True Tempo, who most of us would all be aware of. And I've spent a good part of the last week since I've been back speaking with engineers at True Temper trying to understand the mechanics of that shaft that he used to play to try and find a modern equivalent of that. It's a relatively unique profile that kind of balances really high consistency and repetitivity, repetition I should say, with a lovely soft feel. And so, you know, it's kind of not in the domain of Dynamic gold, it's quite different to anything you might go down in a Project X area. It might be something more akin to something in the Nippon family, but obviously with a completely, you know, you're you're creating a whole new bend profile if you jump out of a historic True Temper platform. KBS is is another alternative, but, you know, that's got another whole new profile again, which is, you know, kind of the whip theory of, constant flex all the way down through the iron shaft to generate as much power at the bottom as you can. But for a lot of players, they find that that feels a little dead and a little stiff. So it's probably the biggest challenge we face is to is to replicate the profile of a shaft that was made 20 years ago with modern equipment in steel and come up with the kind of same feel because the one thing this esteemed gentleman has is He's had that feel now for the best part of 25 years. Like, he's not jumping to a new feel. You know, that, that, that horse is, or that, that, that dog is barked. Just like his cars, John, he knows what he likes. And once you're on Mercedes, it's hard to go back. And it was a very, very fine. <laughs> as well. I'm pretty, pretty comfortable. No one is ever going to work out who you may or may not be talking about, boys. <laughs> I can assure you it was not an A <laughs> At the risk of being accused of repetitivity, boys, we're going to throw it to John for one last 
tale from the tour. And I know that it, I've got here uh, Father Son as a bit of a precursor to what you might be talking to us about. Well, I, I feel more like Kipper than Kipper here in terms of at the risk of full anonymity. <laughs> How did that one come yeah, out? Better than repetitivity. As good as the um, other one. <laughs> way better than repetitivity. That's just so far not even Repetition. close. It's just magnificent. We're going to trademark that film. I was pretty good at the time. So, so I was privileged recently to witness. I mean, you talk about the PNC Father Challenge, and it's basically an event for Hall of Fame players to have a great three or four days, pick up 50 to 100 grand, take their family down and have a nice couple of days at a, a shark course down there in Florida. But to think there's no competition in terms of who gets a start was a startling revelation that uh, came to mind this week because I was privileged to a conversation between a certain gentleman who was chatting to another gentleman that appeared on a driving range where I happened to be at the time. And the certain gentleman came over speaking to the first gentleman who I was working with and got into a general discussion about being first alternate for the PNC Challenge this week, to which after a little bit of broad discussion, it came about to, well, you know, have you got a start yet this week? And he said, thank heavens, I'm, I'm finally in. You know, such and such pulled out. So then he dropped the greatest diatribe on a certain player who every year gets in front of him and it words to the effect, and I need to bleep the expletives out here because they were, they were forthright and forthcoming. But it went something along the lines of that so-and-so bleating whatever is one one major and I've got bleating friggin' three of those friggin' things on my mantelpiece and how he gets in front of me every year is freaking, freaking, freaking a load of freaking those freaking Americans. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, dropped in a safe one at the end. But anyway... Tales from the Tour, there was a classic to say, at age 60, these guys are still as competitive as as ever and uh, are still jockeying for their position in the world. (laughs) Brilliant. And on that note, we'll bring this Tenuous Links Golf Podcast to a close. Special thanks to today's guest, John Craig, Senior Vice President of Tour Edge Golf. What a great advocate for golf he remains. Thanks for stepping in again, JC. Also, thanks from the Golf Barons team for supporting our show on Foxtel and KO. Keep those comments coming on our socials. And until next time, Barons, always remember to add some swagger to your swing.